Before the Rings of Power, there were the Silmarils. Before Sauron, there was his master, Morgoth. Before Aragorn and Arwen, there was Beren and Luthien. Welcome to Window on the West, where we explore all the ages of Tolkien's Middle-earth. With your hosts, Jonathan Watson, Michael Grumbine, and Dan Coates. Thanks for joining us on this new episode of Window on the West. This week, we're going to be getting into the shortest chapter of the Silmarillion of men, because that's that's the entire chapter. It's just of men. I, in fact, I, I think that's, there's a lot to talk about in this chapter, more so than you might think in something this brief. I think you said, Michael, it's, it's seven paragraphs? Only seven paragraphs, yes. Seven paragraphs. Yeah. But it's seven, seven thick, dense, earthy paragraphs to go through. Hilariously, most of the chapter is not about men. It's yeah. only... It's, it's only it's only men adjacent, not yeah. not about men. <laughs> but I think what we'll realize is though it's men adjacent, man, those men have a lot of names, a lot. <laughs> they sure of do. names. <laughs> all of them. I, I have a favorite, but I'll tell you guys okay. when we get to that part. <laughs> all right, all right. So speaking of, before we get to that part, today is our new. All that is gold does not glitter. And this week, it comes to us thanks to our Discord chat, to Naya in our Discord room, who came up with these uh, to stump us. And uh, we will uh, we'll see how we do. I have the answers. So I, I did participate in, in Discord uh, on, this, uh, on, this, on, this, uh, on these questions. Um, and I won't tell you which my answer was, but you can actually go there and check and see that if I was right or wrong, because I did post it before I posted it. I just have to However, say yeah. thank you to Naya, because these are great. And I, she they probably, are. she probably fooled me, but, but, uh, it's really good. I love it. Well, if you, if you like, you know, if you like getting involved like this, you can go to the one ring.com slash patron and join, uh, our, our patrons, right. Where, where you get access to our private discord channel, our private message boards, comments, uh, and the extended podcast, which is like, you know, 15, 20 minutes longer than the normal one, where we go through the questions that folks, um, uh, that we all talk about in our chats and, uh, and some other questions that would be fun too. And, and any deeper dives into Tolkien that we might not do into the shorter podcast, but yeah, go to the wondering.com slash patron and check that out. So all that is gold does not glitter. So we'll go on to number one. The first quote is I'm not walking another 10 paces unless there's a place to sleep at the end of it. Something to eat wouldn't be amiss either. You haven't been hiding anything in your pockets, have you? Uh, so once again, I'm not walking another 10 paces unless there's a place to sleep at the end of it. Something to eat wouldn't be amiss either. You haven't been hiding anything in your pockets, have you? All right. Well, there's sleep, there's eating, and there's pockets. pockets. So that does sound kind of promising. Mm-hmm. Okay, next one. Upon hearing the sound of feet approaching, the watch instantly gave the alarm, and the sleepers as suddenly started up and bent their bows. Hmm. Upon hearing the sound of feet approaching, the watch instantly gave the alarm, and the sleepers as suddenly started up and bent their bows. All right, number three. If I can make sure I don't, I don't mess this up badly. All right. She loved dearly the downlands of her home, and never, as she said, in her life could she sleep at peace far from the sound of sheep. She loved dearly the downlands of her home and never, as she said, in her life could she sleep at peace far from the sound of sheep. The deep cut reference to Settlers of Catan. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Okay, number four, last one. He bore it as long as he could, but finally he was forced to call a halt. Though it was still early, they made camp and, character's name redacted, fell quickly into an exhausted sleep. 
All right, so one more time. He bore it as long as he could, but finally he was forced to call a halt. Though it was still early, they ma- made camp and <laughs> fell quickly into an exhausted sleep. And then... And, and... Charlie Brown's teacher fell <laughs> quickly into an exhausted sleep. Right. So these are these are good quotes. I, I know I might have said it before, but it, you know, thanks to Naya greatly um, because these are these are awesome. Um, so the first one, um, well, Dan, I, I, I've given my thoughts on these on the Discord channel, and I will recount oh, okay. them. I, I do not know the answer, but I, I I've given my thoughts, so I'll go through them. But but I but I want you to give your get your thoughts and guess first, maybe. Okay. Um, they all kind of sound similar. It's a lot of camping, a lot of rural stuff like sheep, which by the <laughs> way, is like the worst resource in settlers of Catan. You can't get anything with sheep. Um, Nobody will trade you when all you have the sheep. Yeah. There's camping, there's walking, cool. there's lots of bows and stuff. Yeah. Um, I, I, I guess if I had to pick one, because I'm not well-read enough. I'm not rounded enough in reading. Um, yeah, lots of marching and halting. And uh, if I had to pick one, I'd only pick the first one just because it kind of hit the trifecta. There was uh, pockets, there was eating, and there was sleeping, which I think are all three big themes of Tolkien. <laughs> so final right. answer is number that's one. My, that's number my one. final answer. I'm locking it in right now. <laughs> that's Tolkien. Okay, so my thoughts um, are that... Um, I, I'm probably going to be just as wrong as Dan, but it won't be about the, the quote, this quote, because I, this is the one quote I did know of the four of them. I know that this first quote is not Tolkien because oh. it is, in fact, Robert Jordan. And the character that says it is Matt Calthone, um, one of the main characters from Robert Jordan. How, how do you, there's like 14 million words in all of Robert Jordan's books. You've read them all. And how mm-hmm. do you remember one phrase from his, his stories? I'm, I'm a sick, sick man, wait, I wait, guess. Wait, I don't like know. This one stood out to you as Matt yeah. Coffin? Is it yeah, a known so he's, quote if I, rem- if I remember correctly, he's actually saying it to um, one of the Aes Sedai. And it was, it's one of those moments where Matt is just um, showing what Matt is lovely for, which is that he doesn't give a crap about the, these women that run the world that, that he's in, and he's and he's deliberately sort of throwing things back in their face. And uh, so, okay. so it was it was pretty funny. Um, and so I know, but you're right, Dan. This does have the Tolkien trifecta. So the picking of this quote is perfect for this kind of uh, yeah. thing. So I know it's not that one. This one I know I've read before, and it feels to me because of the way, unlike modern writing, um, which which dwells in the details and tells you in, criti- in detail by detail what's ha- happening yeah. in, in an action scene. This one is 19th century literature construction action scene, which is swiftly moving and telling you all uh, like an exciting um, scene, almost all in one sentence. Mm-hmm. And so, and, mm-hmm. and it's a real, from a literary um, perspective, it's, I, I, so I actually, I think this is Tolkien. Uh, so this is, that, that's my guess, but I'm really torn because the third one which is she loved dearly the downlands of her home and never as she right. said in her life could she sleep at peace far from the sound of sheep. This threw me because the first half of it sounds very much like Tolkien. She loved dearly the downlands of her home. So we have the love of home. Loving dearly is a phrase Tolkien uses. Mm-hmm. Dearly the downlands is alliteration. Tolkien loves that kind of alliteration. Yeah, um, very all, uh, all that glitters is not gold. <laughs> um, so it's, it's the kind of thing he loves. And then the second half is about freaking sheep, which I don't, I, I, I think I should have remembered and I don't. So I, it's, it's like, it's Tolkien in the first half and on the second. So I'm, I'm, 
reluctantly okay. reluctantly going to let go of this one. The last one I did not rec recognize at all, um, but it has all the all the detailed um, de um, happenings, character by character, basically of what's going on. Very, mo it's much more modern writing or more modern narrative. Tolkien does do this sometimes, but it's mm -hmm. only in certain places. It's only in The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, and this is definitely not from those two. And may, a couple, a few places in Farmer Giles of Ham and Gawain and the Green Knight and things, but none of that. So, mm -hmm. so I'm just missing this one. It's not Tolkien. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go with number two. Okay. All right. Well, we'll go through them uh, in the same order. What, what's what? You were right about. Oh, wait. What? You were right. Okay. So, oh, upon hearing the sound of feet one. approaching, the watch instantly gave the alarm. The sleepers had suddenly started up and bent their bows. That was Ivanhoe. That was number two. Is what you <sighs> had. Um, so, yeah. Sorry about that. Bummer. I've, have you read Ivanhoe? I've never read Ivanhoe. I've definitely read Ivanhoe. It's, oh. an, it's a it's a classic action story. It's like it's like the Robinson Crusoe of the medieval world. Hmm. hmm. Would you recommend it? Absolutely. It's, if you like and, and I am right. I, w I was right, sadly, even though I'm wrong. So I'm wrong on the question, but it is Sir Walter Scott. It is uh, early 19th century. Yeah. So wow. that, that makes sense. And your degree was in what again? Medieval history. Okay. <laughs> just so we know. <laughs> hey, look, perhaps, 19th, 19th a... century is not medieval, man. Well, I, I, yeah, but man, you didn't like anyway. Okay. I'm just trying to find an out for myself because I never would have known any of this. <laughs> All right. All right. Okay. So next one, you're right. I'm not walking another 10 places unless there's a place to sleep at the end of it. That's, that's the eye wow. of Robert Jordan. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the best book I think in the series still, at least for the six that I've read. I yeah, yeah. it was the best. Yeah. I, First I, three were pretty good. The all last, right. last two are, are decent. All right. Cause they weren't read, read, written by Jordan. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So it comes down to the last two. The next one is she loved dearly the downlands of her home and never, as she said in her life, could she sleep oh, at peace far from the gosh. sound of sheep. That is from the story of Aldarion and Erendis from Unfinished Tales. Ugh, which and, I've read and I forgot yeah, the sheep Which part. is great. Yeah, she loves the sheep. What's just funny, the only reason that I remembered this, and you can check on the Discord channel, I, I explained why, is because when I was on vacation, we, were, uh, we, we, we rented a place in the Smokies, uh, kind of on a, on a, like a hillside, a mountainside, and I was sitting out on the patio actually reading, decided to reread unfinished tales because it had been a little time so i reread this here and i was literally sitting in there looking at downlands of like farms <laughs> so, so it like it stuck with me and the whole sheep thing it, it, it stuck struck struck me as weird too because when does he talk about sheep or, or animals even that much unless it's like foxes talking or build a pony so like just a random like the sound of sheep yeah that threw me off too but I, because that mm. stuck in my head of where i was when i read it and it was so recent that's that's the only i don't have well any done, good sir. like like oh, wow. uh there, there's no uh, academic reason that I would have known. <laughs> no, 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 well, thank goodness because I've read it enough. If, if there were two academic responses, we'd have put our our listeners to sleep. <laughs> totally so. wrong. Yeah, yeah. All right, cool. So, cool. There you have it. That is all that what is about, gold does not glitter. What about the last one? Oh, the last one. You're right. One more. He bored as long as he could, but finally he was forced to call a halt. Oh, I've never read her. Characters yeah, I was curious it's about who who it was. The Harp of Imac Thiesel. 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 Imac. By Patricia Reed, W-R-E-D-E, mm -hmm. which I haven't read either. I have not read her. Um, I've heard of her, but I haven't yeah. read her. Yeah. You know what I'm figuring out about this game? That is if you read more things, you do better at this game. And I'm, <laughs> well, at a very, I'm a very distinct disadvantage here. Well, I, I see, I don't know. I don't know, Dan, because we both lost this game. Mm. And, and and I had all these highfalutin reasons, and it didn't do me any good. I still guessed the wrong one. So mm. Maybe next time we'll just do pictures. <laughs> stick, stick figures which works great on a podcast which yeah. stick figure is most like tolkien's work yeah. <laughs> all right all right oh man all right so let's get into chapter 12 
of the Quintessilmarillion. Man, when you say Silmarillion fast, it comes out Silmarillion. Anyway, I, it, hard to say. Uh, chapter 12, Of Men of the Quintessilmarillion. Um, shortest chapter in the Silmarillion. Uh, and as usual, we will jump into... Dan's Big Thoughts. So Dan, what nuggets of wisdom are you going to bestow on us as we <laughs> move forward into Of Men? Well, thanks for that intro, Jonathan. Um, so my big thought, this is the chapter where you learn that all the elves get sick when they're too far away from the light of the trees too long. Um, so that's this is how Rings of Power. No, goodness. No, no, no. Okay. Got, oh. This is not Dan's big lie. <laughs> this all is right. Dan's, Dan's like far diminishing thought that brings us down into the... Okay. Well, okay. Well so, done, uh, so uh, on the flip side of that, that joke, that horrible joke that didn't land. <laughs> this is the chapter where you can read this and realize that that is all completely made up because uh, we learn about of men. And we also, by contrast, learn about elves and that they don't get sick by being apart from the light. Um, and then you learn a lot about men in a very short amount of time. It seems like because Tolkien is all about revealing the identity of things through what their names are. And yep. so in this chapter, you have very quickly, he goes through all these names for men that they're given by, uh, by the elves. And so you have just real quick running through it. He calls them the Atani. If you can correct my pronunciation too, I don't know if I'm saying it right, but the Atani, the second people, uh, Hildor, the followers, uh, the Apananor, maybe, uh, uh, the, Sounds after, good to me. the afterborn, the Engwar, which is the sickly, and the Firamar, the mortals. And he also gives a whole string of other names, the usurpers, the strangers, the inscrutable, the self-cursed, the night-fearers, the heavy-handed, the children of the sun. And so I just think it's so interesting that, that Tolkien could have like a long narrative that tells you like, oh, this is how we know men are like this because we see them acting in these situations. But no, he just gives us like a little paragraph with a bunch of names. And it's like, this is how you know what men are like in contrast to the elves who are not like this. Um, yeah. I just thought that was very interesting that he chose to do that. Just, just, it seems he does this in Lord of the Rings too, where he, he tells you things about thing. He tells you what you need to know by what their, what their name is. Um, right. and I, I think that's very interesting. Right. And, and to build on that, Dan, I, I really like that as a big thought because as a philologist, I think what he's doing is he's telling us like, who has these names for the men? the elves mm -hmm. so he's telling us about the elves in their relation to men by just giving us a list of names of, of words that they use to describe men and we learn a lot we can if you didn't know anything else about the elves you could actually infer quite a bit about them from just this one sentence about what how they name men in relation to themselves and so uh, philologists are all about words and how they change and how they reflect the people that use them and so mm. It's an interesting. I, I, my favorite is is the inscrutable. <laughs> I know, right? Like, huh? So what? here's what I, I love about that. Like the elves are super wise and intelligent. So if they are calling men inscrutable, that means they don't understand men's purposes. They they're they're failing. They're they're looking at men and all of their actions, and they're like, do not get it. Nope. Yeah. 
right. does not compute. And so it tells some, us something about the nature of men as viewed by be, you know, more perfect, more fair, more wise beings that we're just like our ways are inscrutable with, to them, which is really funny. Hmm. I, I wondered when I, when I read through this here, I wondered because there are so many different versions of elves bringing up this image that you drew for us and I touched up ever so slightly, but this is all Michael's, this is, this is Michael's version of my, my how apologies. do we figure out all the different names of the elves? And so it makes you wonder, uh, because he talks later in this, in this chapter about how the men, um, they met the dark elves, right? Some of them got attached to the dark elves, the dark elves who never went west at all like not even into Beleriand and that, those areas like there that sounds like they were over there where the men were and some of them were guided from children forth and so it makes you wonder like which which ones of these dark elves were the ones that came up with these names so uh you know the strangers perhaps right right yep the, and what, what, well, what's interesting is the heavy-handed <laughs> the heavy-footed too probably but but they um you know it was also fascinating so just to jump around a bit because there's different there's different things that pop up in different paragraphs. And for those people that have never, um, that weren't here for our first podcast, Dark Elves, do not please wash from your brain all thoughts of Dungeons and Dragons, Dark Elves with night black skin and white hair and, you know, Dritz yeah. Duarden and all that stuff. It's These are just elves that never made it to Val the, the Blessed Lands. They so never saw the light of the trees. They're dark because they never saw the light of two trees. It has nothing to do with skin color in our, in our um, age obsessed with skin color. Um, and so... What I found was fascinating was when it said that these men were actually um, very much like, and in, in strength and power, they were actually the equal of the elves in those yes, days. I noticed that too. Which is interesting. Not in wisdom or craft or beauty. Those three, um, those three qualities the elves excelled in. So the mind, the the hands, and ability to make things, and then physical beauty. But in strength and other endurance, the old, these older men were actually the elves equal, which is very interesting because that's not the case in the time of the, the um, Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and also um, when he talks about how Ulmo nonetheless took thought for men, Mm -hmm. uh, he writes, uh, Ulmo nonetheless took thought for them, aiding the counsel and will of Manway, and his messages came often to them by stream and flood, but they have not skill in such matters and still less had they in those days before they had mingled with the elves, which is uh, a note to say, okay, they're not, um, I hate using the word magical, but like that kind of communication of like, what, what's the stream saying to me? What's the, what's the water saying to me? That's what Ulmo would do to the elves. And he would like, there was a communication there. Well, clearly there's a skill in that. And that's that, that harkened back to like, this is what, this is what the skill of Feanor was more than just, I can, I can, you know, uh, forge iron better than anybody else. He was imparting some of his own, like his, his being's skill into it. And that skill being like, you know, magical, I hate using that word with Lord of the Rings that much, but, well, or yeah. Tolkien. but yeah, 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 I agree with you. I think I, I'm not quite as squeamish about using the word magical because I just think it implies um, something that we don't understand, a relationship and, and connection with the world that we don't understand, so we call it magical. So the elves are just more connected with with yes. with the world, with Middle Earth, with Arda than men are. They're bound to it. When they die, they remain in in this world. They do not pass on to the next world, to Iluvatar, perhaps that which is the fate of men. People think, and we're we're told a little bit about that. Um, 
um, about a couple theories about what the Valar and the and the elves might think of what happens to the souls of men. Maybe they go to a special part of the halls of Mandos, but Mandos ain't telling. So <laughs> and and or maybe they don't, and they go um, beyond the circles of the earth. And that's that second one is more of the one that Tolkien landed on over time. Um, is, is what happens to the souls of men. Um, so, so they are they are just different. They don't have the connection to the land, and that connection brings with it, you know, what we call magic. You know, there's just this deep connection that the elves yeah. have with with Middle Earth. So, let me ask you a question. One of the things that uh, that struck out to me it's in the it's in the third paragraph after the like the sort of the section break, mm-hmm. where where Tolkien writes, uh, "Men have feared the Valar rather than love them, and have not right. understood the purposes of their powers." And it made me think now. Did they fear them because they simply haven't met them? Like the elves met them, right? The 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 Valar were enamored of the elves. They came and they wanted them, uh, but but the elves feared them first too. They thought it was it was the evil in the forests, right? They didn't know that it was Orme coming with his like uh, coming and uh, like watching them essentially. Right? So I think I think I think your the answer to your question is in the fourth paragraph, um, which is that it's Morgoth. So Morgoth. Um, he has sown as seed in the dark. Um, and so he's, he's, he's sown this disc, this, I mean, he, we, we found out that he did so with the elves when they were awoke, he sowed lies about, um, the Valar Mm -hmm. to try to get them to fear and some of, and it worked on some of them, but they were lost. But if the Valar, as it says in paragraph one, wouldn't have just sat behind their mountains at peace. Exactly. I'm with you. Gone out and been like, I look at, we like you two men. We're not judging you. We're not going to be exactly. these racist Valar and just, you know, <laughs> giving yep. affirmative action to the elves. Look, We're here a, to. <laughs> this is another addition. This short chapter has three more additions to Michael's great list of the sins of the Valar. I, I hope so, you're keeping a spreadsheet. So, so I should. I should. <laughs> so the, there, there's three sins the Valar have here. Um, the first is we see from the very first paragraph that they're kind of content with having gone all on the defensive and built up. It says, the Valar now sat now behind their mountains at peace. And having given light to Middle-earth, they left it for long untended. You're welcome. And the lordship of Morgoth was uncontested, save by the Valor of the Noldor. So, sorry, that's a, I mean, and we're we're about to see over a number of chapters how much of a mistake that is, in my opinion. Agreed. Um, and so there's there's sin number one. Sin number two is is in Catholic speak is a venial sin. It's a small one, and that's Olmo. He cares about men. He's like, now I'm going to talk to him through the streams and waters. And the men are like, duh, what? Uh, don't understand. So so this is a, one of the greatest of the Valar, and he's and he makes the mistake, and then apparently he doesn't correct it to be keen. He's continually sending messages to people yeah. without a telegraph. So. <laughs> I, 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 that's just it's like, weird. don't you get it? <laughs> yeah. How about if I say it again? I'm sure that's yeah. that's gonna be that's gonna be great. Hmm. And then and then the, number three. And, well, then when the Val when the Valar begin to, um, sorry, when Morgoth begins mm-hmm. to w- begins to uh, exert power over the land, they then didn't do anything. They they were happy with the sun and moon. It wasn't just they went defensive and and but in other words. You can say at first, maybe they thought, well, the sun and the moon are going to be good enough because look at look at the and, and it does tell us that the sun and moon had some effect on Morgoth's um, yeah. desires for expansion. But then when it became clear that wasn't enough over the ages, they still sat and it, they had to wait. We had to wait until basically the world had come to an end almost and Arendelle 
Arendelle, sorry, um, comes to Valinor and makes the final plea, which we'll hear full about. Hmm. But Elrond gets a mention at the end of this too, which he is does. interesting. He does. It, 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 they sort of, it's like they, 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 Tolkien calls back to the things that have gone before, and then he throws out these nuggets again. It's like, oh yeah, yeah, Baron, son of Barry here. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, there's El- Arendelle and Elring and, and Elrond and. Uh, we don't really know, right? So the, he goes in and like throws out the nuggets again, and, like leaves it there. I love though his one line in the last paragraph. Um, <laughs> it, was, it made me chuckle a little bit. In after days, when because of the triumph of Morgoth, elves and men became estranged, as he most wished, those of the elven race that lived still in Middle Earth waned and faded, and men usurped the sunlight. And then I'm like, ha ha, it's ours. I'm taking the sun, which is you know again like because stupid Valar didn't get involved. Left exactly. the sunlight, they'll tell the men. So I guess that was their gift to men. Instead of taking them to Valinor, they get the sunlight. But uh, it's funny. It's like it's like men took it. It's like no, it's ours. We're gonna we're the ones that are coming out of the caves. You guys won't be here. We're just going to uh, be fruitful and multiply on the earth, and uh, take hmm. over. Yeah, yeah, it struck me as a little funny the word usurped there. Uh, yeah, I almost I almost wonder if the criticism of the Valar for not doing more, if that kind of overlaps with the problem of evil just in general. Like hmm. like a lot, a lot of people would say that with God, right? Why doesn't God stop that's right, that's child cancer? Why doesn't God stop gunmen from blowing up buildings or, or shooting up a, school, a classroom or whatever? And I almost wonder if I, I I don't know. I guess I'm taking the side of the Valar. Maybe maybe, maybe they know more Somebody about the song. To. Yeah, maybe they know more about the song than they let on, and yep. that maybe that's part of it. That they that they have some higher wisdom that they're not making us privy to. Or do you, or do you think like when Tolkien's writing this that he's kind of revealing all their mistakes? I, I don't know. I I think he's it's it's I think it's super interesting. I think. Dan, that there is a bit of Greek mythology in here in Tolkien's um, treatment of his own myth- mythos, mm-hmm. where most of Greek mythology is telling us how how screwed up the gods are. Um, you know, just telling us all these tales of how the gods are fighting with each other. Now the and now that's not all. The, uh, Tolkien doesn't do it to that extent, but he yeah. is. I think there is an aspect in which he is opening the Valor up to criticism through in different points. But to your in defense of what you just said. And as I think I mentioned last um, episode when we did Of the Sun and the Moon and the Hiding of Valinor, the very first sentence I pointed out, I'm, I am on the side of Feanor here, which is the wrong side to be on. But it says, <laughs> to reread that, it says, <laughs> it says, it is told that after the flight of Melkor, the Valar sat long unmoved upon their thrones in the Ring of Doom. But they were not idle, as Feanor declared in the folly of his heart. So, so this is me, like declaring the Valar to be idle and and not doing the right thing. Mm. When, when in fact, I mean, you're right. I, I guess one could make the case that the, what the Valar are doing first, they do something really significant and substantial. They raise the sun and moon, right? And that put, seriously curtails um, Morgoth's attempts to take over Middle Earth, and very seriously. And the next thing they do is they defend their realm by raising up the mountains and creating all these defenses. And then the third thing they do is nothing. They give men and elves their freedom. In other words, they do not, they, they know, as we'll find out in the War of Wrath, they know that if they are to take a hand, all choice is going to leave everyone. Everyone's going to, it's going to, it's going to really destroy Middle Earth if they go to war with Morgoth. And, 
in or destroy large parts of it, which in fact it does. Spoiler alert: um, when they eventually, when push comes to shove, and they eventually have to take a hand. So, so maybe this mm. like freedom that they're giving this space, these these nearly six hundred years, as it turns out, of the first age, um, maybe that's that is there is wisdom in that, and I just should shut my trap. Maybe, but I would say that the difference is like one: it's not an allegory guys so we're not reading to like you know the there, there so here's the thing is is i like there is no uh redemption plan for men or elves that iluvatar has like, mm. right that happened after after original sin essentially so um i think that's that's perhaps the biggest difference that i would say between the two so can we judge them differently of course you can say the valar aren't uh, like, I mean, I don't know. Maybe maybe it's just me being a, a little bit more um, judgmental because that's my my temperament. But so yeah, and I, and I need to clarify because I actually I agree with you that we shouldn't be reading this allegorically. But Tolkien is very clear about the nature of when you try to force people who have free will uh, to do things. That's an evil act, whether you're whether you have good intentions or not. And so the fact that the Valar give everyone space, they give the Noldor space to play out their their um the fruits of their sin yeah. if you want to call it that um and and they give they let men exist and they don't take a he, a, a big hand in that in anything to having to do with men maybe that's they maybe learn that's from just, their mistakes in a way maybe they're trying say. to they're trying to learn from their own mistakes hmm. so yeah hmm. could be just like we all should <laughs> that's why the second kid always turns out better than the first <laughs> wait well, wait <laughs> or the ninth in your case michael yeah so I, I guess the only thing that i haven't lodged in the back of my brain from previous chapters of the cimmerillion is that they are all all the valar are privy to the song of the ainur they know they know measure one measure two measure three mm-hmm. and even we've read about mandos how mandos seems to know everything before it happens pretty much he, he has like an almost exhaustive foreknowledge um except so i don't know i get they got they got that going the, for them except what's under the purview of a Luvatar, it says exactly right right um but but i like where you're going with the song there dan and i i have a a, a sentence from this short chapter about that which is the end of paragraph six near the end of the chapter the fate of men after death maybe is not in the hands of the valar nor was all foretold in the music of the Ainur. Mm. So let's pretend you're a Valar right now. And in this story, you know what you don't know. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, the, it, it's the wisdom of Socrates, right? You know, you have the wisdom to know that you don't know everything that's foretold in the music of the, uh, that not everything that's about to happen is in the music, even though you know the music. And some of you know the music really well, like Mondos and Amanue. But, um, but there's not you, but you, but you don't, you know what you don't know. And you know that the, when it comes to men, there's this kind of a gray area or question mark going on in the mind of a Luvatar. So maybe their, maybe their tactic is, well, let's just keep our hands off and see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. I, that certainly seems the, the tack that they're taking. If I had to pick a, pick a side, I guess. Right. Yeah, I'm not as angry as you though, Michael, in this, over this whole situation. I mean, that's that's just true in general. Most people aren't as angry as me as about, about most things. So, so with yeah, it, do, it does seem like they have the power to stop evil. They have the power to bring an end to Morgoth if they wanted to. Yes, and then, yes. but they they let a lot of stuff happen over hundreds of years, where they just go, well, you know, oh well. 
So I, I, they do open themselves up to that criticism. Yeah. And they, you know, you got to think that they knew something about what was going on, but they just sort of waited until um, a man kind of sh- shows up hmm. to, mm-hmm. to make the case. To make the half. case for both, for both races. Yep. In a way. Yep. Hmm. Half man anyway. All right. Wow. That was, that was a lot. Any, any final thoughts on this chapter? I'm actually looking forward to hearing again about what happened to Fionor because we left him behind so long ago. I'm like, he burned the ships and then, so that's next chapter. So that, nope. That, and we go from like the shortest chapter to practically the longest chapter. Yeah. Next chapter is going to be quite long. Do we want to split up the next we chapter? May, or we not? may split it up. I'm, I'm having a hard time figuring out exactly where it may be at the point where, uh, where it stops with uh, when 20 years of the sun had passed which is a few five, six pages. It depends on the copy of the book that you're looking at. But um, yeah, yep. I think that might be a good place to stop. Do half of chapter 13 and then the next half after that. 13A and 13B, because we'll be here for an hour and a half talking about that chapter, I think, if we're, <laughs> we're going to go into it. So uh, next week, chapter 13 of The Return of the Nildor, part A, let's say up through uh, that that first part, when 20 years of the sun had passed. It's It's not quite half, but there's no... We don't, we don't want to split it in the middle of a, of a sentence. So, uh, okay. We'll, we'll That's, that sounds there. good. And then we're going to have lots of references to the Atlas of Middle Earth, which we've referenced in the past. There's some cool maps that all have to do with the next chapter, basically. So. Yeah. Yeah. We'll bring that out, too. Uh, so, yeah, we'll move on to that. But before we move on to that next week, uh, we have our favorite part of this end of the episode. I don't know if it's a favorite. It's just a good part <laughs> because I saw, so like last week. Okay, so we, we, you guys recommended the Hobbit, the end of the the uh, John Howe's illustrated version of the Hobbit. I think it was Alan John Howe, Lee, Alan Lee, Alan Lee. Sorry, not John Howe. I have it over there now because I didn't have it yet. I realized I don't know. I never got it. It's one of those you know they publish so many now that I, I missed it. But I found it on eBay for like twenty bucks, and I was like, I gotta get this. So nice. I went and bought it. So you guys are causing Very cool. issues. <laughs> <laughs> cheap enough yeah. where I didn't quite have to get uh, the wife's approval, but still. Um, so this week, I think Michael, it's on you. Michael, what would you say? If you like Tolkien. Right. So we, we, we mentioned a couple things about this beforehand. So this is a little bit out of left field um, in the sense of that this isn't something that you would um, think would come first to mind if you like Tolkien, but what I'm going to say is if you like, and I don't have a, a cool prop to show. I mean, I do, I do, <laughs> wait, I, wait, I have I to one. take out some books. Oh, okay. You're going to do the prop. All right, good. So while Jonathan goes and gets the prop, here we go. Prop time. Yeah, I, I got, I got something. This is uh, this is the closest I got. There you go. All right. Chesterton's gateway. So if you That's like Tolkien, if you like Tolkien, you will in fact almost, almost definitely enjoy Chesterton. Now, that's a weird thing to say, maybe, because Chesterton, um, while he did write fiction, he is not known mostly for his fiction. He's known mostly um, for his books. Um, for Well, he was a journalist for decades, and so he has, you can be known for that. But his books, such as Orthodoxy um, and his, his engagement with the world of, world of theology and civics and um, his... his uh, he was. He lived at the beginning of the 20th century, so right on 100 years ago, he was at the heights of his power. Chesterton was, in fact, an influence on Tolkien, um, and his what 
what, what I'm going to focus on just for a brief second is to say that one of the reasons that I think that people that enjoy Tolkien will also enjoy Chesterton, and I'm not just saying that off the top of my head, but most people that I've known that have read both do, um, is because Chesterton had that that character, has that character both in his fictional writings and in his nonfiction writings that you see throughout um, epitomized by Tolkien's themes, and that is this character, this this character of whimsy and fancy. He Chesterton's world of the imagination is is fantastic, and he knows what makes a good fairy story, and he knows, and you you see it in his in his um, non in his in his uh, fictional writings, um, which are not fantasy; they're not uh, medieval um, level. Uh, sort of uh, what we can now think of as fantasy, but they have this element of imagination and whimsy, which really, really connects. And, and um, his, his love of language, Chesterton's love of language is also very evident. He's a master of prose. He, he, he says things in just these, he paints these mental pictures as you read him, which are so powerful. And while they aren't the same kind of mental pictures that Tolkien creates in Lord of the Rings, Nevertheless, there's a kinship there. At least I find it to be so. So if you uh, have a, a fancy, you should uh, pick up that book that uh, Jonathan held up, Chesterton's Gateway. This is a good one because it takes um, 14, I believe, essays from um, different places and excerpts from Chesterton. So you can get your your mind, your uh, fingers wet. Um, mm -hmm. um, reading it. And, and, and yeah. there, there are nice little footnotes that explain the odd references that you might not get being none of us have actually had a classical training in, in the kinds of things that he would have assumed people had back then, at least his, mm -hmm. a lot of his readers. Uh, so yeah, great book uh, by Ethan Nicole, just from yeah. his gateway. Uh, I'll, I'll link it down below. So yeah, that's a great place to start uh, his essays. And those are 14 really good ones. Cause I think a lot of people go, Oh, I need to read Chesterton and they run out and buy orthodoxy. Oh my gosh. And it's like, it's, it's, it's hard to get through, especially if you don't know the references and you don't understand the, the, the types of, you know, the, basically he's like things that are, he's referencing things in his day a hundred years ago and you don't know the names, you don't know the places. It's really rough. So yeah. the essays are good, especially if you have a footnotes like, like Ethan's footnotes there. I agree. Yeah, highly recommended. All right, thanks, Michael. Yeah, pick that up. I still haven't read through all fourteen of them, but uh, uh, but we were all. Well, and it goes back. We were all a part of a Chesterton reading group. That's kind mm -hmm. of how we met. I mean, all through the Babylon Bee, but but we were in that same reading group that met at a cigar shop, and uh, that was great. So yeah, and hey, yeah, yeah. if you if you really want to get dive deep into it, start your own Chestertonians group, and uh, <laughs> dive into the essays because sometimes you need more than one person to dive into the depths of what he's talking about with the knowledge that other people might have around you. Reading Chesterton is a communal activity, and maybe <laughs> Tolkien has that. I mean, I mean, here we are sitting and talking together about Tolkien, so we're not yeah. too far apart that way. Well, yeah. that leads us into a question had that that I had too in our uh, Discord chat that we're going to answer, which is, uh, what authors of a more modern date other than Beowulf did Tolkien read and reference, in, other than G.K. Chesterton? But so we're going to answer that not, not now, gonna... no. So we're we're gonna yeah. all you <laughs> freeloaders who are just listening to us and 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 um, for free and and have no commitment, you can go away now oh, yeah, because we're we're gonna no I'm just uh, no sorry. we'll yeah, we we'll move on into our extended patron podcast that you can get if you're a patron at theonering.com slash patron it's four dollars a month free the first month so you can try it out and if you if you really dislike what we're talking about I guess cancel. But if mm. you like it, hey, stick around and join us in Discord. Join us in our uh, video chats that we have. It's it's a lot of fun. 
and uh, yeah. and we're gonna move right into that, guys. So thanks for joining us, and you patrons. We'll see you on the other side. Bye bye. All right.